You're listening to the Meditation and Attachment Podcast with George Haas. For more information, please visit our website at www.metagroup.org. That's www.m-e-t-t-a-g-r-o-u-p.org. So welcome, everybody. This is Meditation and Attachment, Deepening Your Practice. It's 7.35 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. Um, and um, we are going to continue with uh, the um, conversation around the progress of insight, the Mahasi Sayadaw uh, commentary on the 16 stages of uh, insight. And tonight we're on the fifth um which is called Banganata or dissolution. But I thought I'd just stop, see if everybody's okay, whether anybody wanted to share anything to the group uh, or whether we should just go ahead and jump in. Everybody all right? Um, I don't usually teach in uh, this kind of format beyond the fifth stage. Uh, for many people, the fifth stage seems quite ahead, quite a ways ahead on the path. Uh, but I am going to uh, do a series of six day longs in, in this, uh, starting this month, I think, uh, covering all 16 stages and going into more detail. So the third Saturday of every month, I'll do a day long for the next six months covering in more detail uh, all of the stages and working in particular with meditation strategies to begin to develop the insights into them. Banganata is characterized by a, a great sensitivity to the endings, the vanishings, the disappearances of all sensory arising. In the fourth stage we were talking about arising and passing so this very clear perception of all sensory experiences in any of the sense gates arising and passing. And uh, when you come to uh, dissolution, the experience is uh, mostly focused on the ending. Wherever your attention is turned to, you notice that each sensing experience ends. And what this does is create a... Uh, a uh, experience of the body itself dissolving. If you haven't had much experience of piti or flow uh, in the body, then this may sound uh, strange, but many of you have been practicing uh, and have a deep enough practice that you do have the experience of piti, which is a, a kind of vibratory energy that arises in the body. In the experience of dissolution, the uh, arising of that energy becomes so intense and the flow of energy from one sense gate to another um, dissolves the barrier between the sense gates internally and then also dissolves the experience of inside and outside. So what ends up happening is you're in a, a very high concentration state, you are able to perceive whenever you turn to any of the sense gates, uh, the vanishing, the arising and passing 
mostly the passing is where the focus is. And because of that, that the sense of the solidness of the body, then the sense of the solidness of the world disappear. Um, one of the controversies in Western uh, meditation circles and Western Dharma circles is the experience of dissolution, which leads then into the knowledge of the miseries, or um, the Christian term for this is the dark night of the soul. If there is a Buddhist term for this, the knowledge of the miseries, and there's a, um, I'm going to just turn off this. Oh, I see. I had to plug in. Um, let me. Knowledge of the miseries is the Buddhist term, and dark night of the soul is the Christian term. Um, if those terms exist in two religions, then what we're really looking at here is some an experience that's quite universal in in the human uh, condition. And uh, if we backtrack a little bit to begin to understand that, conceptual reality, which we tend to rely on as a representation of what's actually happening, can appear very solid. Um, when you look around the visual field and you uh, focus on different things, everything has a, a sense of being detailed, everything has a sense of being in focus, um, you can tell a chair from a floor, from a table, from a cup. Um, and we rely on this aspect for so much of our experience without it ever being pointed out that we manufacture it in, in, in our uh, sensing process that we begin to rely on that as something that's, that's actually real. And the process of dissolution is to begin to see the activity of the sensing experience without fixating it into something solid and reifying it into a series of objects, which often include the self. If you notice looking out of the body, there's some peripheral sense of your body being there, which gives you a, a, a reification of the idea that you're looking at something, so it also uh, solidifies and reifies the experience of self. And the thing that begins to happen in the experience of dissolution is that the, 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 the immediate fixation, the immediate grab of the sensing experiences and the translation into conceptual reality slows down to the point where you can see and be and exist in the experience of sensing without the, the habitual uh, fixating. In Buddhism, the term in English is often attachment. You attach to the sensing experience and it creates the perception of solidity. Um, I uh, teach uh, a lot of, about uh, attachment theory, as you probably know. And um, so attachment in the Buddhist sense is, is very different from attachment in the psychological sense. What begins to happen then as you allow yourself to go into the meditation experiences where you're no longer habitually solidifying conceptual reality and you're allowing the experience of the flow of the sensing experiences 
and sensitizing yourself to the ending of each sensing moment, each mind moment, um, is that uh, the defense or the sense of security that the solid world has and the version of the solid world that you create loses its capacity to be as compelling uh, as it was before you began to have those experiences. One of the things that's interesting um, about the discussion of this in uh, the meditation community is that some people have extreme reactions to the experience of this. And some people, it's hardly uh, a bump in the road. It's hardly a loss of stride in terms of the way practice goes. And so I think it's interesting to begin to pay attention to uh, what this means. If you can see that the body-mind and the activity of the body-mind is the, the central activity of your human existence and that the majority of the things that happen, the majority of the experiences and their meaning um, and uh, the reactions to that and the actions that you decide to take in response to that are almost all unconscious, uh, then it informs you about the nature of the sense of self uh, and that construction of this is me and I'm doing this or I'm the author of this, I'm the controller of this, I'm the doer of this, uh, I am causing this to happen. Um, there can be a fearfulness around that. If I am not myself, and I am not the author and the doer and the controller of this, and it is actually a reflection of my conditioning, all of these responses that I have, um, who's in charge of this? Who's doing all of this? Uh, what actually am I, after all? Um, Now, in considering that, you suddenly have this idea of, cool, I'm not this, this person that I thought I was. I'm this, this bundle of uh, conditioning that just is responsive, is just reactive. Um, uh, I'd love to really investigate that and see really clearly what my, uh, my uh, conditioning is and how it's reflected in the way that I respond to things. Um, a kind of open-hearted, interested uh, or a curious way of uh, reflecting on that. Um, and I think that that's actually the place that you come to when you really are able to embed deeply the experiences of this. Um, that's the, the... So this is the fifth stage. Six, seven, and eight are the knowledge of the miseries. Nine is the knowledge of the desire to be relieved from suffering. And 10 is the knowledge of reobservation. When you reach the 10th stage in reobservation and you've integrated deeply these the three characteristics of existence, then you have this sense of curiosity about how you react to things uh, rather than this identification with the way you react to things. And you are open in a way to responding to the experiences of the world uh, in a way that you intend to be skillful 
And so that if you recognize that you're engaged in a reaction to the uh, circumstances um, that you face that seems unskillful, you can just drop it and, and, and reformulate a different response to it without that uh, woundedness that often comes from the over-identification with the experiences of self or that sense of solidity in self. But why would it be that some people are uh, caught up in this experience and cling so tenaciously to this idea of who they are, this idea of self? And why is it for some people just a sort of uh, bump in the road that they're easily able to overcome? And um, I, because I spend so much time uh, focused on the attachment lens, uh, look through the attachment lens and I begin to see that there are uh, 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 patterns in, in the capacity to actually mentalize um, and uh, also um, uh, in rigidity that forms around the worldview and, and, and view of self. Another way to put that is that people are very insecure and tend to be authentic, don't have much of a problem with this. And people that ha uh, tend to be insecure and tend to be inauthentic in the way that they navigate the world tend to have a much harder time about it. If you're authentic already and you build your life and the relationships that you have based on that sense of authenticity, to see clearly the way that things really are doesn't change the fundamental nature of the way that you relate in the world. But if you're very inauthentic in the way that you establish relationships and move through the world and you see through that inauthenticity, you become much less able to do that. And so that these structures that you've created that have been based on inauthenticity begin to come apart because you can't manage them as well from a place of authenticity. Um, so that's just my sort of observation of uh, who has difficulty and who doesn't have difficulty. Um, if you're very used to a solid world and all of a sudden the world isn't solid, in fact it's so not solid that you can't tell the where the body ends and the, the chair that you're sitting on begins and that in any direction that you turn, everything is like that. Um, then that need for a sense of safety, that sense of identity is lost in that moment. And then that creates this sense of uh, uh, suffering. So in the knowledge of the miseries, it's the uh, fearfulness around the loss of self it's the misery that nothing is reliable and nothing will last. And it is the disgust that you live in a human body which will age, grow old, get sick, and die. To some extent, if you reflect on that, you already know all of that to be true, depending on how well you're able to defend yourself against some of those realities. Most of the time, if I were to say to you, uh, everybody dies, you know that. Everybody's going to say, yes, I know that. But 
have you investigated that to know whether you've included yourself in the group of everybody or are you in some ways holding on to this idea that uh, yes i'll get old but i'll just get old indefinitely and there'll never be an end to that a long slow thousand year process of me aging can you imagine how that would be uh, one of my teachers is dan brown and he gave me a book um, on Dochen, on the Ban version of Dochen, and one of the meditations um, uh, in the book um, was to go to a secluded place and sit and then imagine in every way that you could die until, this is the instruction, you are quaking with fear at the imminence of your death. And uh, so I thought, okay, I'll go and sit under retreats. And I was up at a retreat center and there was a, a, a um, I guess, a, a, a thousand year old, 1200 year old uh, tree it was quite grand and gnarly and old. And so I went and I sat underneath the tree and then I, I began to imagine in all of the ways that I could die and um, and had really no problem with it for the first few hours. But then as the day wore on and I, I got into say six hours of imagining all of the different ways uh, I could die with some detail, I find ac actually that I became quite fearful about it because it seemed as if it were a real possibility that that was gonna happen. Here, of course, we are in a pandemic and some people uh, take this seriously and, and put on a face mask and social distance and limit their contact. And some people don't do that. Um, and either they don't believe that the pandemic is real or uh, they have a difficulty with this understanding of the short uh, brutish nature, to quote uh, Thomas Hobbes, of the human existence. The sense of self that you have, are you aware that it arises in the moment based on the conditions that you're experiencing in the moment and that it's not continuous and it's not ongoing and it's not the same if the conditions are different one moment to the next? Um, this is a very useful insight because if you can really take that in, then you don't grab onto, you don't attach to the defense of the sense of self because you see it as ephemeral and it no longer needs to be defended, then that opens up this possibility of curiosity in the moment. Oh, why am I creating this sense of self in this moment based on these conditions? And is that the most optimal way of being in this moment rather than this is me and this is happening, and you're doing that, and I'm doing this, and I need to defend that. And as these insights become uh, really deep, of course, this process is simply automatic, and you'll notice that the curiosity arises rather than the defense arising. And that's when you know that you're integrating in a deep way this uh, knowledge about the experience of self.
um, you simply don't react with the need to defend the sense of self. And then you actually begin to notice the different ways in which that arises. So there's that immediate, almost um, pre-conscious blast of big angry self that arises, which is really probably coming from the brainstem. And then there's the secondary defense of self, which comes from the prefrontal cortexes and that identification with the sense of self. And you can't do much about the big blast of angry self except ride the wave of it which it arises and passes pretty quickly and then noticing when the the mind collapses out of the capacity to mentalize into the need to defend uh, in western psychology we call that teleological mode where you you're not not mentalizing and you're accepting the con conditions as if they're solid and you need uh, to defend. How do you uh, hold the experience that nothing really lasts? Um, everything arises and passes from the micro to the macro. Uh, each sensing experience arises and passes. And if you have equanimity with that arising and passing, you can simply let it come and go, which means you've adjusted to the the pattern of that experience where something arises and it ends and uh, the sadness of it ending is in each moment of it ending. Some of us can't bear the sadness and in the untrained mind, of course, we, we attempt to hold the sadness away. Uh, and then it accumulates. Each moment arises and passes, and some of the moments we really enjoy and we reach for and want to hold on to and suffer from that. And, and some moments arise and we don't want them, so we tend to resist them and try to keep them at bay. And then um, some moments arise and they're uninteresting to us and we want something else that engages us, fascinates us. How do you roll in that? How do you adjust yourself to this notion that nothing will last? And um, I'd like to talk about it as a fork in one direction is nihilism where you just don't give a shit because it doesn't last. You can't keep it. Or in the other in direction, which is this engagement, this willingness to open and engage each moment as fully as you can because you know that this moment will end and not just the brilliant moments but all of the moments, the, the ones that are, are, are dull or uh, prosaic or ordinary, the ones that are painful uh, that you don't want each of them, engaging them fully. We have this notion that if we don't do that kind of engagement, we can avoid the suffering. So uh, some of us uh, isolate ourselves from other people and, and uh, inhibit our exploration because we think that it can save us from the pain of eventually having to lose that or those circumstances having to end. 
But there is no way to avoid that. And so if you don't go into the engagement side, uh, you still lose it. You just don't have the experience of it. But the losing of it, you still have. And so uh, it's really this um, eyes wide open, pushing into uh, in fully engaging as much as you can to the experience. Knowing as you're doing that engagement that it's going to be lost and that that becomes integrated into the experience of it so that there's no inhibition, there's no reluctance, there's no withholding in that engagement. And then and the last one is the uh, dukkha is the Pali word. It's often translated as suffering. Three levels of that. growing old, getting sick, dying, getting what you want and losing it, not getting what you want, having to put up with the things that you don't want and then the subtle, ongoing, constant irritation that nothing is the way that you would have it if you were actually in control of anything, which is that double-edged sword. It's not the way you want it and you're not actually in control of anything. How can you come to a place where you can live uh, not being in control of anything? How can you come to uh, a sense of equanimity with the irritation um, that uh, things aren't the way that you would like them to be? If you could make things the way that you wanted them to be, you can make, um, you can adapt to the way that things are and you can participate and engage fully in that and it still not be the way that you actually would have it if you were in charge and you could make things perfect. There isn't so much perfect uh, in my experience. There are peak moments and, and moments when things really come together in, in a brilliant way that are very close and then they end and, and that would be less of uh, the idea of they lasting forever. That second level, getting what you want and losing it. Um, not getting what you want, having to put up with things that you don't want. In, in attachment terms, of course, what we're talking about is exploration. Do you explore as, as right to the edge of what provides meaning for you in your life? Um, do you organize your life in such a way that you can do that so that you have the resources available to you where that can happen? Or do you begin to withhold uh, your exploration for fear that you won't be able to get what you want or it'll be lost or uh, you'll have to endure things that you don't want to? What happens as we age, of course, is that our, that youthful energy uh, is lost and uh, the resilience that comes from so much of that energy is lost. And we accumulate the disappointment of th this, uh, uh, these uh, endings, particularly if you put the sadness off uh, or avoid the sadness, it accumulates and it becomes this barrier, this 
this um, weightiness that makes the exploration harder and harder to do. And, and as you truncate your exploration, the, the meaningfulness of life um, is reduced and it can get to the point where uh, you don't have enough meaning in, in, in the day-to-day -day life that you're living that you want to do it anymore. This is uh, in our country, in, in the United States, and uh, this may be true uh, in much of the West, there's a, a, a epidemic of suicide in, in elderly people because they're isolated and because they're unable to explore in a way that's meaningful to them. And that we as a, a society have not organized the way that we support each other, that, that we can uh, show up and, and help people uh, continue the, this exploration that they need for the, the, the sense of the willingness to keep going. Even in our very privileged world, this is true. So in the moment of the state of dissolution, you're in an extremely high concentrated state. Wherever you turn your attention, you can see the arising and passing events clearly. And so that this can mean a slow pace of it, but usually it means a very rapid pace. Um, because the, the pace of these arisings and passings gets so uh, quick, the, the fluidity, the smoothness that we normally uh, in experience when we experience self and world becomes choppy. And so uh, the first part of this process is the the losing of that sense of flow, that sense of uh, ordinary, continuous re reality. And it becomes this choppy, staccato uh, kind of experience. And then that gives way to this flowing experience where nothing is actually solidified. So if we were to talk about the visual field, what it really begins to look like is this flow of colored dots in, a, in, a, in just in a kind of moving pattern without actually creating anything solid. And so the, the sense of the objectiveness of the world is lost as it moves into this place of just flowing colored dots. And then in the body, there's the energy moves through the body and, and the difference between sight space and auditory space and the felt sense of the body dissolves. And it's all just a sense of energy. And then that sense of energy carries beyond the boundary of the body. And you are then are no longer able to discern the inside from the outside. So the object of the body, something that's been so reliable up until the, the experience of this, is lost and you can no longer create it or solidify it. And then you can exist in this state for a short period of time or a longer period of time or quite a long period of time. In the beginning or maybe the first few times that you would uh, put yourself into this state, the experience is frightening. But then you begin to acclimatize it to it and it becomes 
an ordinary experience and then in my experience at least it becomes quite an enjoyable experience um, and it, it varies in terms of the co completeness of it I um, had one particular moment which I found really hilarious uh, um, up at Zaka Lake some of you have sat up there with me um, uh, my entire body dissolved except for my feet and my head. And so I was wandering around and it felt like my head was bobbing along, following my feet wherever I went, but I couldn't connect it um, because of that. The pattern of the, the dissolution was incomplete, um, which wasn't disturbing at all because I'd had the experience of dissolution so many times. It, it was uh, delightful. Um, In describing this to people, uh, to you, um, if you haven't had the experience of these profound flow states, then this may sound quite um, out of the ordinary and quite, uh, um, well, in some sense, impossible to really imagine. But it, uh, I do want to also assure you that it's quite ordinary. One of the things about practices, of course, if you practice a particular technique it tends to produce a particular result and so in moving through these stages you adjust the technique so that it illustrates at each stage the insight that that, that stage of practice is describing and uh, so when we move into wanting in particular to have the experience of dissolution excuse me the technique is uh, just Note Gone. Just Note Gone is a technique where you begin to focus specifically just on the passing away of sensory experience. So in the arising and passing meditation, we were paying attention to the beginning, the middle, and the end of each uh, uh, sensing experience, following that full arc. The untrained body-mind tends to jump to the arising of sensing experiences and following them up to their full manifestation, but because there's often a reluctance to feel the sadness of the end of a sensing experience, we jump from arising to arising to arising, and we ignore the passing away of experiences. Um, with the, the experience of self in particular, often we'll will ride the arising and the manifestation of a sensing experience uh, and then as it begins to fall away we'll jump into awareness as a bridge and so in moving from arising and manifesting arising and manifesting arising and manifesting we create the uh, experience of continuous solidity if you follow the wave totally from arising middle to passing then you know that there isn't uh, ongoing constant solidity, that everything is arising and passing. And whatever sense gate you begin to look at, you'll notice that that arising and passing is happening. If you want to move into the place of uh, that profound flow state where, where nothing is uh, solid anymore, you shift the attention from uh, the, the arising to the passing of things 
and you focus just on the passing. So the just note gone technique is just noticing the gones of things. If you, for instance, follow the sensations of the breath, I breathe in, it, there's the middle part, and then at a certain point it ends, and then the out breath begins. And then you follow the out breath, and the, the end of the out breath is often quite subtle. And then sometimes there's a gap between the beginning of the in-breath and the end of the out-breath. Sometimes there isn't. So you have uh, some basic thing to focus on, noticing the arising and passing. But then each um, sensing experience in each sense gate arises and passes. So if you're listening to the sound of this, uh, of the words that I'm saying in the sentence, I'm um, completing, noting just the end of each word. Can you train your mind to be able to note the end of each of the words that I'm saying? So you're beginning to understand the, the intensity of the concentration state that it would take where you would be able to track that. And in the, the depth of the concentration state and in the sensitization to the, uh, the gones, uh, you find as this process begins to un unfold that actually noting the end of each of the words that I say, the gone of each of the words that I say, is a relatively easy task to do because the words are so slow and that you can move and see clearly the, the passings of uh, sensing experiences that are much, much faster than that. So this isn't a noting and labeling process once the speed of it begins to pick up. But in the beginning, you can use the label gone until uh, it begins to go too quickly and then uh, it's appropriate to drop that labeling. We're going to do the, the Just Note Gone technique tonight. It would be uh, very surprising to me if uh, uh, anyone got cl even close to the dissolution experience. Um, it usually takes a few days of sitting on retreat for me to be able to get there. Uh, and this I, I, I know to be true of most of the people that I've practiced with. But uh, once you begin to sensitize yourself and understand the nature of this experience, it's something that, that's pretty ordinary uh, in terms of uh, developing your retreat practice. Any questions about this before we begin to do the technique? So go ahead and, and uh, get into your meditation posture then. And uh, we'll do a little bit in the beginning of breath counting just to settle the mind and organize it. And then we'll move into uh, the just note gone technique. Does everybody have a sense that things arise and pass and also that uh, so many things are passing that you can actually make the just the passings as an object of meditation and that there's plenty to do? And how um, 
Uh, I noticed uh, listening to a plane, um, it was, a, or a helicopter, maybe it was a helicopter, but it had a putt-putt kind of experience. And when I really concentrated on it, each little putt uh, had a, 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 an ending to it. And it had, the, at the same time, the, the, the loud, almost continuous sound of it. So, okay. Um, I am going to be doing this series of six uh, Saturdays, uh, starting, uh, I think, the third Saturday of the month, so not this week, but the following, on uh, the 16 stages. And the Vipassana portion of this class is going to begin to go through the individual meditations in the Satipatthana Sutta. I'm going to be using the Analayo book for that, so that if you want to uh, get it, uh, so that you can follow along, it's called um, uh, Satipatthana, The Direct Path to, I think it's Awakening, and it's by Analayo, who is a Swiss-German monk. It was his actually his dissertation for his PhD, and so it's quite uh, nicely laid out. And if you're familiar with the Satipatthana Sutta, there's a a, um, a verse and then a chorus or a refrain, a verse and then a refrain. And you can use uh, the verse and the refrain each as meditations. Um, and it and it does describe a very traditional path in terms of the investigation of awakening. And so it's a different map than the progress of insight uh, map. Um, if you like Dharma maps, it's another one to explore. And so we'll do that and then continue with the um, practice of uh, uh, metta uh, and vipassana, uh, continuing with the metta practice where we left off. Um, we did friends and families, so uh, next week we'll do metta for neutral people, and then the week after that begin satipatthana. I quite like the satipatthana uh, sutta and uh, um, the the different. Uh, ways of investigating. They talk about the Dharma as a, a jewel and the many facets of the jewel. Each facet is a way of investigating the nature of the Dharma. And so I think it been, can be quite useful to look through as many of the different facets as you can interest yourself in because it does create a very three-dimensional sense of, of what the Dharma is. Um, I do teach the class um, on a dana basis. Uh, dana is uh, the Pali word for generosity. Uh, there's a link on my uh, webpage uh, or the website Metagroup uh, where you found the link for the class that also is a link for donating. Um, any donation you make is greatly appreciated in supporting Metagroup and the work that we're doing and also supporting me. Um, I have my beginners class on Tuesday night and uh, this class, which is meant for intermediate or advanced practice. Um, on Wednesday nights, I'm doing the level two uh, meditation and attachment class. We've had the first class, and if you were interested in joining that, you could join it. But uh, 
next Wednesday is the second class, and after the second class is over, we'll close it, and uh, you, uh, nobody else will be able to join it at that point. Thank you so much for coming, and we'll see you next time.